Well, this morning, I want to talk about, I want to minister to you on being born again. Now, this is a, being born again is a fundamental truth, a, fundam, a foundational uh, theology to, to what we believe as Christians. Being born again is, is what being a Christian is all about. You know, every other religion in this world, if you look at the Buddhists, the Muslims, every other religion is all about what you can do to make yourself right with God. It's, you know, we have to do all the right things. We have to do these certain things. We have to be martyrs. We have to, I mean, there's all these rules and regulations for us to become, to become right with God. And it's in every religion. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion in this world. Because Christianity is the only religion where it's not about man trying to get to God, but God actually came to man. And being born again is fundamental because God didn't just come down and provide a, a band-aid for our issue. He didn't just ignore our sins, but He made us brand new. To be born again is to be made brand new so that we can move forward with a, the solution to our problem and not a band-aid to our problem. It's like when you, you take your car to the mechanic and, and you keep having a fuse that blows out every day, so you keep putting the fuse in, the fuse in, and it keeps blowing. I mean, putting the fuse in is just a band-aid to the problem. It's not fixing your actual problem. You've got to figure out what's causing the fuse to blow, and that's what God did in Jesus. Is, uh, he didn't just replace the fuse, but he actually fixed the reason why the fuse was blowing. And the Old Testament was actually very much the same way. The Old Testament was, a, the law was a list of rules of what you had to do as the requirements to be right with God. But ultimately, even the Old Testament didn't deal with the problem. It was just a band-aid at the, at the time. Without this transformation in our body, we're just operating from a position of weakness and we're doomed to failure. You know, in the Old Testament, they were never made brand new. They were never made clean by the blood of bulls and goats. It's just not enough to clean, cleanse you. But uh, thank God, through Jesus, we've been made brand new and have a brand new life. So you may be asking, why are we going over, I mean, foundational stuff? Most of us in this room have been Christians for a while. And, and uh, you know what? This is stuff that we should all know. I mean, why are we going over foundational stuff? And the truth is because sometimes we forget. We just flat out forget. Even some of the most basic stuff that we've done, we forget. Second Peter 1, 12 through 15 Peter says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in the, this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. You know, in sports, they practice the fundamentals. You used to be a coach. You spent a lot of time with your kids on the fundamentals, right? And even as they got better, you still practiced the fundamentals. Because why? What would happen? One, if you don't keep practicing the fundamentals, they stop doing them. You stop. You forget all the basics. You know, I think we could talk to any professional athlete, any, any professional NFL training program. Matter of fact, if you go, when we used to be able to watch spring training for uh, baseball here, when they were doing that, they were doing the fundamentals all the time because they would slip away, they would fall, they would forget if they didn't keep up with it. And the truth is, even Peter here, he's, he's, he's almost being apologetic and he's talking to him. He says, even though you already know this stuff, I am always ready to remind you of these things. You see, Peter knew something was about to change. He said, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, the, the Greek word that actually says is tent. He's talking about his body. As long as I'm alive in this body, I'm going to keep reminding you 
of these same things. I'm going to bring it up to you. Because, you know, Jesus, it says, Lord Jesus has made clear to me that his earthly dwelling is, is coming to cease. Actually, Jesus had talked to Peter, if you recall. He told him how he was going to die in the, in the Gospels. And I forget which scripture it is, and it doesn't go into great detail, but he does mention it. But he says, I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. So in the same way, I'm going to continue to teach some of the basics. I'll I'll, I'll reteach the same things because we need to be able to remember these things. Even when you leave church on Sunday morning, this needs to be fresh in your mind. You need to be able to recall it at any time, even after your departure here. Because the truth is, even when you do something often, I know there's stuff that I'll get into and I, I start doing it all the time and I remember how to do stuff and I start doing cool stuff and then I'll quit for a while and I'll leave just for a little, just for a month or two, especially with computer programs. I'll get with one. I'll get real good with it and then I won't use it for a month and I come back to it and I can't remember anything. I'm like, how did I do this stuff before? And I, I'm just not proficient with it. It gets difficult. And I think the same thing happens to all of us. So let's keep the... You know, by way of reminder, we're going to keep looking at even the foundational scriptures as we go through so that we can continue to stay strong in the Lord and always be ready to, to, uh, to present this to others and even to ourselves. Sometimes you've got to preach to yourself and remind yourself of these truths. So let's start looking at what the Bible says about being born again. In John 3, 1 through 3, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Whenever Jesus says truly, truly, he's making a point. That's his, uh, all right, listen up, I got something to say. Now Nicodemus, this, this uh, Pharisee right here, is a ruler of the Jews. Actually, Nicodemus was pretty much one of the best of the best at those times. He, was, uh, he represented the best in the nature. He was a teacher, he was a Pharisee, and he was a member of the, the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling council. There were 70 people in the Sanhedrin, and they, they were responsible for religious decisions. And under Roman law, actually, when they were working with the Romans, they were responsible for civil, civil rule as well. So this guy knows his stuff. He's, he's, the, he's not a dumb guy. He's not ignorant. He knows uh, Jewish, the Jewish law very, very well. And he says, this man comes to Jesus by night. So first off, we know that it doesn't really say why he came by night. You know, some people uh, proselyte that he came by night, that, that he, was, uh, he was afraid. Because at the time, Jesus is kind of rocking the boat a little bit. He's saying stuff that's uh, causing a stir. Matter of fact, as we all know, they end up killing Jesus for the stir that he causes. So he came by night. We don't know if he came because he was scared of what the others might say. Also, Jesus always had crowds around him. Maybe the, the crowds were a little bit smaller at night, so maybe he'd get in there. We don't really know. It doesn't really say. But uh, we do know that he came to him, and the truth is, he comes to him respectfully. He wasn't there like some of the other leaders at the time trying to trip Jesus up. He says, Rabbi, which means, you know, a teacher. Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. He's being very respectful to Jesus. He says, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. But the problem with, with this is, even though he was coming to Jesus very respectful, by calling him just teacher, obviously he still doesn't understand who Jesus is. There's a, there's a disconnect of who he was. 
And the truth is that, that uh, actually Nicodemus will find later through the Gospels that he stands up for Jesus. There's a time when, when the Jewish council is going to, and they just want to condemn Jesus without being heard. And, and Nicodemus says, no, remember that our laws say that he has a right to be heard. And then later, he's actually the one that provides the, the uh, aloe and myrrh when Jesus is buried. He helps Jesus bury him, and he provides a hundred pounds of spices to, 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 to wrap Jesus in, which is an incredibly large amount of money at that time. So this guy, you know, he, he ends up becoming a follower of Jesus. But at this time, he just doesn't know who Jesus is. He just thinks he's a teacher. But then Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, the truth is, to be able to even see the kingdom of God, we have to have God do a work inside of us. I don't know if you noticed, but you notice that the animals can navigate in, in a dark environment much better than we can. You know, animals have a different set of, uh, of, of uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically, skills, a different set of equipment to, to, to be able to navigate uh, a dark environment. Cats can see in the dark. Bats use sonar to get around in the dark. They have a, a special set of equipment to see around their environment. And the truth is, the kingdom of God in a sense, requires its own set of special equipment. You have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. God has to do a work inside of you to even see the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Without God speaking to you, without the Holy Spirit working in your heart, even before you get saved, to be able to receive the gospel, the Holy Spirit has to speak to you so you can even understand what's going on. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So let's continue on in the story with Nicodemus. In John 3, 4-7, Nicodemus says to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which was born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. See, now Nicodemus is getting this from, here's what Jesus says, and he's confused. He's like, this doesn't make any sense. How can one be born again? How can, that, like, how can you go into your mother's womb? He's thinking naturally. He's thinking about how things work in the natural world. It's like, how is that possible? But Jesus is speaking a spiritual truth to Nicodemus. You see, what he's talking here, and this one is born of water, what happens when a woman begins to give birth? How, how do we know she's getting ready? Yeah, her water breaks, right? Yeah, we should... <laughs> Don't make a mess on my chair. You don't have to wait till we leave here. But yeah, the, her water breaks. And that's when you're born of water, it's the natural birth. We're all born of water, right? It says, you must be born of water and the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. Well, everyone's got the first one down. To get into this world, you have to be born of water. So that's the easy one, right? So then he says, but then you need to be born of the Spirit. See, to be born of the Spirit is when you get saved. When you're born again, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's when you are born of the Spirit. If you're only naturally born, you're only of the flesh. You know, we have many people that walk around this world that don't know God. They don't know Jesus. And, they, and uh, they're walking around in the flesh. Everything they do is to appease the flesh, to appease this world. 
They're of the flesh. And there's no, there's no amount of good living that can change that you're just of the flesh. You know, there's actually a lot of, of good people that aren't saved. They live good lives. They try to do the right thing. But it doesn't matter how good that they live. They'll always be just born of water, born of the flesh, if they don't accept Jesus into their heart. In order to be born of the Spirit, and Jesus says that you must be born again, there's not a, uh, uh, it's a good idea, or some of you have to be born again, and some of you will live good enough. But it's, this is a fact of the matter. You must be born again. You must accept Jesus into your heart to, be, to see the kingdom of God. Because we have a problem. The, the human race has a problem, and it started with Adam. In Romans 5, oh, sorry, this is so small, I wanted to get a bunch on there. Romans 5, 12 through 17, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. Aren't you excited that he keeps saying free gift and gift? What if he had to earn it? It's an impossible thing. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. See, this is our problem. The reason we need to be born again is because Adam sinned. He was the original sin, and that's been passed on generation to generation, to generation through generation, uh, through, through every, every man, down through his seed forever. Man is born broken. See, when Adam sinned, his spirit died. There was spiritual death, which introduced real death into this world. And earlier... Paul is talking about that the, the power of sin is the law. That's how, you know, that's how we recognize that there was sin was because the law came. But what Paul is talking about here is he says that, that for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. See, before Moses received the law, there was still sin in the world. You know, even if you're not under the law, you're still under sin. You're still dealing with sin. And the truth is that before Moses... Before, before the sin was an imputed, basically before sin was assigned a value, for lack of a better term, before it was pointed out that this is sin, sin was still there. How do we know sin was still there even before the law? Because from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, even those who did not do the exact same thing as Adam, they kept dying. Sin was in this world and it caused a problem for every single man and woman that's been alive since Adam ate that fruit off the tree, since Adam didn't trust God and disobeyed, disobeyed God. And the truth is, we are born broken. But some people say, oh no, kids are innocent. They have to grow up to a certain age before they start doing crazy. I was watching a video yesterday with my wife on, on uh, YouTube, I think, or Facebook, something. But it's this, this uh, little boy who basically gets caught in a lie. He's three years old. Sprinkles all over his face. And... Uh, 
Mom's got the video and says, did you have any snacks? No, I did not have any snacks. Are you sure? Yeah, I didn't have any sprinkles all over his face. <laughs> so she's sitting there, she's talking to him. You know, I want you to tell me the truth. Do you have any snacks? No, I didn't, I didn't have anything, Mama. Come here, come with me. And she walks up and she's got these bottles of sprinkles on the counter and one of them, and they're decent size, <laughs> completely half empty. I mean, the, the half of it is gone. Sprinkles on the counter, all over the boy's face. Did you eat these sprinkles? No, Mom, I didn't eat those sprinkles. You didn't have these. No, I didn't, I didn't have these. You have sprinkles all over your face. I didn't eat the sprinkles, Mama. I mean, it's obvious the kid is lying. Three years old. We are born broken. We're born with sin having its way in our body. You know, this kid, it wasn't acting innocent. I mean, he's three years old. At that point, you really don't have time to learn lying and cheating and stealing from somebody else. Unfortunately, it's in us. And the only way it can be removed, the only way we can be made brand new, is through Jesus Christ. So, the one question many people seem to ask, like to ask, is why am I being held responsible for one man's sin thousands and thousands of years ago? Why is it that I'm held responsible for him? And on the surface, when you look at that, you're like, man, that's pretty unfair. I think that's pretty unfair. Why am I being held responsible for, for what this one guy did? When the truth is, it's actually the grace of God that we are held responsible for that one man's sin. Because what if we were all put up to scrutiny on our individual merits? See, in order for one man's free gift to save us, we have to be held responsible for one man's original sin. Because otherwise, it would be left up to us individually. You know, who here is messed up? Who here would be disqualified? You don't have to raise your hand. I, I know you all would have your hand raised. I'm not, I'm not confused. <laughs> this, is, this isn't a revelation to me. I mean, the truth is we've, we've all failed in some way or another. And if you were, had to be responsible for what you did, you wouldn't make it. You wouldn't qualify. So God, in his, in his wisdom and in His grace, said that, you know what? Because of one man, they're all being held responsible for that one, then by one man, I can make it right for all men. By the free gift. There's an old tale of a man who, who dies, and he's, faced, he's up at the, the gates of heaven, and Gabriel standing there, at the, the angel Gabriel standing at the gates of heaven, and he says, all right, here's the way it works. You need to tell me all the stuff that you've done in your life. And, and all the good stuff that you've done gives you points. And the better the stuff that you've done, the more points you get. And you have to have 100 points to get into heaven. So he goes, oh, okay. Well, I went to church my entire life. I never missed a Sunday. I was there every Sunday, and I listened to the preacher, and, and I lived a good life and never missed church. And he goes, Gabriel goes, wow, that's amazing. Three points. What else you got? Well, I was married to the same woman for 52 years. I never cheated on her. Matter of fact, I didn't even cheat on her in my heart. I never thought about another woman ever. That's incredible. Two points. Two points. And he says, all right. He says, well, at this rate, I'll never get into heaven except for by the grace of God. And Gabriel goes, you know, you're absolutely right. Come on in. See, the truth is, we will never ever get enough points on our account to be considered qualified. It's a free gift. This, this, I mean, he says gift here, one, 
two, at least three, four times, he talks about the free gift of God. You know, God gives us a brand new life as a gift. There's nothing we have to do to earn it. And that's the only way that we can qualify. So, you know, at one point in my life, I think like many people, I said, why am I being held responsible for what Adam did? But now I thank God that I am because if I was being held responsible for what I did, I'm already out. At least this way, I can, I can make it to heaven. I can be given a brand new life and be free from sin. Amen? So then we talk about outward versus inward cleaning. Matthew 23, 25-26 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and out of, end of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. See, this is how other works-based religions work. You clean the outside of the cup. You look good on the inside. You do all the right things in front of people or, you know, outwardly, but inwardly you're still a mess. And the truth is that doesn't fix anything. Like we talked about earlier, that's just a band-aid. When you look clean on the outside, it's, you're still dirty. You know, it's like, have you ever pulled a cup out of the dishwasher? And you go and you, you put some, something to drink in it, and you start drinking it down. And you lay it in the dishwasher, it's a clean cup, it just got done being washed. And, and you get to that last, that last drink where it come, drops down just low enough where you can see the bottom. And you see somebody's milk all dried up in the bottom of it. How many knows you ain't got a, you ain't got a clean cup anymore? It was clean on the outside. You know this, that, that. <laughs> you see it. Oh, that's gross. Nothing worse. You know, that's, that's what happened. <laughs> that's... That's, uh, that's what happens when you just clean the outside. The inside is still dirty. Whatever's in the inside is still dirty. The perfect example. You know, and, and uh, you know, much like the Pharisees, a lot of us live our lives misunderstanding what we have to do to be right before God. And we think that we have to clean the outside of the cup. We think that if, if we go to church enough, we'll one day to get to heaven. If we, if we do the right thing enough, if we, if we give to the poor enough, if we, if we read our Bible enough, if we pray enough, if we do all these things, then we're going to make it to heaven. But the truth is that none of those things will get you into heaven. Now, I thank God that if you're a Christian, you love God, you want to spend time with His people, you go to church. You want to hear from God. You want to hear what He has to say so you read His Word. And you want to speak to God so you pray. But you do those things because you love God, not because you're trying to get in His good graces. Because i got news for you. If you have Jesus in your heart, you are already in His good graces. Amen? So God had a plan. He's going to give us a new heart. In Ezekiel 36, 25-26, it says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. See, at this time in the, in, in the book of Ezekiel, the Jews are, are in Babylon. Their temple has been destroyed. And they're in captivity in Babylon. But the truth is that even before they went into captivity, they already defied the temple. They were bringing in idols. They were worshiping idols. And that was well before the Babylonians came in and destroyed it. They weren't honoring the Sabbath or God. I mean, at this point, they're in captivity. And uh, the scripture says that God placed a piece of himself that they could go and worship there with him. But they ignored that. They weren't honoring the Sabbath. They weren't putting forth a good testimony of what God had done in their lives. 
in Babylon, they're just blending in. They're being one of the people there. Anybody ever notice Christians like that, that are just kind of blending in with everybody around them, doing the same stuff that everyone around them is doing? They're not being godly witnesses or living separated. They're just being one of the world. You know, the truth is that uh, a lot of times it's very hard to, to recognize a difference in the church and the world because the church looks so much like the world nowadays. And it's really quite sad because people don't recognize that they've been born again. They don't recognize that they've been made brand new. They don't understand that they are not who that they used to be. See, according to the law, in order to become cleansed after being defiled, the Jews had to go through this ritual of, of washing themselves with water or being sprinkled with water. And that was the purpose of that. It was to, to symbolize you becoming clean of your defilement, of your sin. Whatever you did, you washed. So God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. That's what God did in Jesus for us. Because Jesus died and took the old us, and that died with him, and he gave us a brand new life. He cleansed us and made us clean, not on the outside. He didn't scrub us on the outside so we look good, but on the inside of the cup, the inside of the dish, we are made clean. He says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. See, the truth is, without God, our lives are just stone. Our, our heart is stone. It's a rock. It can't love because we need God to love it. It's, it's broken. And the Bible says that, Jesus, or God says that I will put a new heart inside of you. Did you know that when Jesus went and died on the cross, he took your place? He took your, your heart, your spirit, and it died with him, and he gave you his in place. That's how you have a new heart, because he gave you his a brand new perfect heart, the heart of Jesus that's perfect and clean and holy. See, the problem the Jews had is that there's no amount of water that can clean you on the inside. There's no amount of scrubbing. They couldn't stand in a puddle of water for long enough to, to clean what was broken on the inside of them because of the, the original sin. There's nothing they could do to clean themselves. They were born broken. And matter of fact, all throughout the Old Testament, it says that those, those uh, great men of faith in the book of Hebrews, men and women of faith, they were waiting for the promise and never got to see it. Those, even the, the, the great men of God of the Old Testament, they were waiting for Jesus so that they could make it into heaven. They never got to see it, but they were looking forward to the promise of the one who was to come to make them clean. And even the men and women of the Old Testament before Jesus needed Jesus to make it to heaven. And thank God he came. Thank God he decided that, you know what, I don't want to do this. I'm going to give in to temptation, or I'm going to, because Jesus had a choice. But He has given us a new life, a new heart. We have been born again, made brand new in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5 17, if you have something to write with, write this one down. This is one of the best scriptures you can memorize and say to yourself. When you're feeling tempted, whenever you're feeling down, you just say this to yourself. 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have, ha have passed. Behold, new things have come. Whenever that old life begins to try to, to sneak back into your life, you can say, the old has passed. Behold, new things have come. I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. Christianity is not about cleaning up your life yourself. You'll fail if you try. I spent a long time 
I was talking to uh, to Chris this this week and this Friday when we had breakfast about I was spending my life understanding God by what I saw on the TV, what I saw from other people, because I didn't have a foundation. I didn't actually spend time on the Word. I didn't have someone who was discipling me and teaching me, showing me the way of God. I had this idea that God was waiting up in heaven with a stick, just waiting for you to mess up. And I had to do all these right things on the outside to be made to be made well and and. I remember laying in bed at night, listing out my sins. Lord, forgive me for smoking. Forgive me for chewing. Forgive me for doing all this stuff. I was, you know, just forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And he, and he did. You know, God is faithful. But then I went and did them again the next day. Every night, the same thing. Please forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And the next day, doing it again. Because nothing had changed on the inside of me. I was just trying to clean the outside. I was just trying to do the right thing. And it wasn't until I accepted God into my heart that I began to to live from the inside out. And that's when things begin to change. It's not you trying to change yourselves, but letting God work inside of you. Because when we're born again, when we're made new, it's like we're we're like a newborn baby. You know, when when you have this this baby here, November 9th, if it comes on time, or I'm sure you're hoping for sooner, (laughs) it has no past. It's done nothing wrong in and of itself. No past. It doesn't have anything dragging it down. It doesn't have those past experiences, the, the baggage as we call it, pulling it down. It's, it's fresh. It's a brand new life. But the things we don't recognize, a lot of Christians don't recognize that when they're born again, that's how they're starting their life from that point on. Like a newborn baby with no past. Innocent in all things because of what Christ has done inside of them. And we have to be made brand new because if you go to sell a car, you can put a brand new paint job on it and make it look just pristine on the outside. You, you go in there with arm roll and you do all the leather and the vinyl and, and it looks good. But, you know, you can't sell it as a new car because it's used. It's, it looks great on the outside, but on the inside... In its, in its joints and it's where the, the pieces come together and the bolts and the motor, it's, it's not new. Matter of fact, you can even, you know, if you, if you take a car and we, we look at cars with how much mileage they have on them and we're like, this car has got 250,000 miles. It's getting close to the end of its life in the motor. But you've, I've also seen cars that people sell that say that uh, has 250,000 miles or 300,000 miles, but the motor was just rebuilt. The motor's got no miles on it. How many, you know that when you rebuild a motor in a car, you can't go in the odometer and flip back the odometer? Because this car is not brand new. The car has still got 250,000 miles on it. And if you take a starving homeless person off the street, if we were to go find a starving homeless person and we brought them in for one day and we fed them and we put new clothes on them and we got them cleaned up and they got showered, but then we sent them back outside that... Nothing's changed for that person. For a day, for maybe two days, they look good. They don't look homeless anymore, but we haven't fixed their problem. We haven't solved the root cause of the problem. We just, we just band-aided the outside. But in Christ, we are new creatures. We didn't band-aid the problem. We've actually taken the part of us that was broken away, and we are brand new. Galatians 2.20 Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. To be crucified with Christ is to say that your old self was dead. 
you know, when, when Christ went up on the cross, we went up there with him by faith. Our old man was crucified and died. And it's no longer us who live, but Christ lives inside of us. His life is the new life that we've been given. If you're ever struggling with sin, you do well to remember that it's that, that old person that had the problem with sin, the old person that was tempted and, and had, was, was a slave to that sin, is dead and gone. Tell the sin. Tell it. You know what? The old man's dead and gone. I'm not the same person I used to be. I am free. I am redeemed. I am forgiven and I've been made brand new. Because the truth is, if someone's dead, he can't interface with anything anymore. Dead people don't get up and do the stuff that they used to do. Amen? And all this is by faith. We died with Christ by faith. And we live with Christ by faith. And Christ lives inside of us. He lives through us. So a three-year-old was taken to a, a pediatrician and, and she had the flu. So when he gets there, the, the doctor starts you know, playing around with her, teasing her, and he takes his little scope and he looks in her ear and he says, am I going to find Big Bird in there? She's like, no. He says, all right, open your mouth. Ah, he looks in there and he goes, am I going to find Barney when I look down in there? And she looks at him with an innocence of a, you know, a, a three-year-old girl and says, no, Jesus is in my heart. Barney's on my underwear. <laughs> Jesus lives inside of us. But the truth is, it's so easy for us to become jaded to this fact. We hear it all the time, and it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. That's why in the beginning I said that we're going to stir this up by way of reminder because we don't want to forget and let that become just rote. We want to remember what Christ did for us. God gave His only Son for us so that we could live. Yeah, I mean, do, can you fathom how incredible that that is? Would you guys give up any one of your kids for someone else? I would. I'm telling you now, if I was God, you're all going to hell. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the, that kind of love is incredible. Unbelievable. I don't even know how to comprehend that, how to fathom what he did for us. But if you become jaded and you start, we start thinking that is, oh, that's just what Jesus did. That's just what God did. You know that that you lose the power that that has in your life. In Romans six four it says, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. You know, baptism is a is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, when, when, when we get baptized, when we go under the water, that is a representation of dying and being buried with Jesus. And when we come out of the water, that is, is your representation of becoming alive with Christ. Truthfully, baptism is just a funeral. We have been buried with Him through baptism into death. We, we say that our old man is dead, and we come out of the water as a new man. And I thank God that we've been buried with Him through death. The old man has been put to death and doesn't have any more rain in our body. But it doesn't stop there. It says that so that Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. By faith, we rise with Christ and we've been given a brand new life. And how did Jesus rise out of the grave? Did He rise still in bondage to sin? Did He rise a zombie or anything, like, or undead minion, anything like that? No, He rose victorious and alive. So all things subject underneath him. When he died, he died in our place. And he gave us his life to take as our own, to be made brand new. 
I thank God that we have a brand new life. Because my old one was trashed. I couldn't do anything right. But I thank God that he loved me enough to send his son to die on the cross so that I could be made brand new, so that I could be in fellowship with him, and so I could spend eternity in relationship with the one who loved me. In Romans 8, 29 through 30, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Those he foreknew, the ones he predestined, that's you. That's all of us. God wants, God desires that none should perish and that all would be saved. He, for, he knows us. God has known you since before you were born. Since the foundation of the earth, he knew who you were. The Bible says that he knows you by name and he even knows how many individual hairs are on your head. It's amazing that God knows us like that with that much intimacy and detail. He knows everything that you've ever done, all the good stuff and all the bad stuff. He knows the bad stuff that you've not even told anybody about, the stuff that, that you wouldn't dare tell somebody that you've done. He knows all that stuff. You can't hide it from him. But the amazing thing is that he still loves us anyway. Not only does he love us, love us anyway, not because of who we are or what we did, but in spite of who we are or who we were before he, he came into our lives, in spite of what we did, he still loves us. And this word predestined here, he predestined, predestined us to become conformed to the, to the image of his son. Predestined is just another word, predesigned. He designed us to be alive in Christ. He designed us to be saved. And then it says that we were born, being born again, because Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren, we were born again into that same family. We are, we are brothers and sisters of Christ. That's actually why that you'll see in churches people, hey brother, how you doing? That's what they're talking about. Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are of the same family, of the same seed. He was the first of many. And to be justified, all that means to be justified is to be declared innocent, to be absolved of any guilt. We've been declared innocent. We've been made guiltless because of what he's done in our lives through the finished work of Jesus. That means we can live without a guilty conscience because guilt serves only to remind us of the sin. It puts our focus on sin and not on the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why I've told you, if you sin, don't begin to to, to dwell on the, the sin and, and beg God to forgive you for what you're doing, and oh, I'm such a terrible person, yada, yada. You just say, thank, thank you, Jesus, that I am forgiven for those sins, that I've been made free. Because you are already forgiven. Even for stuff you haven't done yet. Jesus died for all of your sin. And then finally it says that, that we are glorified in Him. You know, when Jesus comes back and we, we begin to see who we really are, we're glorified in, in who we are in Christ. So there had to be an answer. And Jesus was the answer. In John 3.16, for this answer of, of us being broken, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the first scripture I ever memorized. And it's one of those that almost becomes trite because people say it all the time. But, but you, what is happening here is amazing. God sent his son because he loved us that much. 
His son died so that we could live forever with him. Jesus was the answer to our problem, not, not a band-aid, but he actually fixed us and made us brand new. And the Bible says there's no greater love than to give up your life for one another. And then in John 3.36 it says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of a God abides in him. See, the truth is that without Jesus in your heart, we are already judged. We're, we're, you, go, you go to hell, the wrath of God abides in you. But it's so easy to accept that free gift that God has given you to be made brand new. You just must believe in the Son. Believe that He died for you. Believe that He is who He says He is and He did what He said He did. Let's read a story. It says, One, as a Sunday morning, a man gets up around 5 a.m. and his, his wife and his kids are asleep. So he figures he's going to get up and spend a little time in the newspaper. It's quiet. Nobody's awake. Nobody can bother him. And as he's coming down the stairs, his five-year-old daughter starts trapsing down behind him. And he says, honey, go back, up to, go back up to bed and get some sleep. She goes, I'm not tired. And she was bound to determine to not let him, to let him just sit and read his paper. So he's like, you know what, I got an idea. On the last page of the paper, there's a picture of the world. So he took that piece of paper and he cut the world up into tiny pieces. And he handed it to her and says, honey, why don't you take this, why don't you go ahead and try to put this world back together? So she was excited, it's a puzzle, she takes the challenge. So he sits back, puts his feet up, and just begins to get reading again. And she comes back in, Daddy, I did it. I put it back together. And he's amazed. He said, how did you do that? How did you do that so quickly? And she said, well, it was easy. On the back of the paper, there was a picture of a man. And if you made the man right, then you made the world right. And that's what Jesus did in us. You know, the truth is, you know, we look at, at our, our government as it's doing crazy things. And the answer to our country is not better government or different government. The answer to our country is Jesus. You want to see a godly government? Get the people in the government saved. You fix the man, you fix the world. And that's what Jesus came to do, was to make us whole. Amen? So how are we born again? Well, first, you must receive Him. John 1, 12 through 12-13, it says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Salvation, this new birth, is a gift. It's given freely. And you have to receive a gift. How many know that yesterday when we were at the party with the girls, and they got all kinds of gifts, and we all went out well before the party and bought those gifts. We bought them nice presents, and we brought them home, and we put them in our closet or wherever we keep that stuff, and... Those presents weren't on. They were the girls. They were, they were Emery's and, and, uh, and Nina's gifts. They were theirs. But they didn't have them yet. They were still at my house or your house, wherever you had them. It wasn't until yesterday at the party that they received those gifts that they were actually able to take ownership of those gifts. Even though the entire time, even before they received them, they were theirs. And the same thing is with this free gift of God. The entire time... It has been ours, but we have to receive it. We have to, to, to accept that gift from God to make us brand new. It says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And that's where we find out that we're born again. We're born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but we're born of God. To be born again is to believe in his name and accept 
what he's given us, to believe that he accomplished what he said he accomplished. You know, we do the, the, the sinner's prayer. That's what that's all about, is, is we, we talk about how we believe in his name. We believe that he died for us and that he took our sin and he took the punishment that was meant for us. And then finally in Romans 10, 9 through 10, this is where we're going to end today. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And the truth is we'll confess what we believe. You know, if you like the 49ers, I'm sure you told somebody about it. Because we confess what we believe, what we like. You know, we, and the same is true for Jesus. If you love Jesus, you're going to tell somebody about it. And the reason we have to confess is because in Matthew 10, 32-33, it says, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. You know, you can't do one without the other. You can't just be wrapped up in a little corner and, and say you believe. Because if you, if you believed in something like this, I mean, if you won the lottery, you would tell somebody about it. When you get this gift that God's given us, a brand new life, you're going to tell somebody about it. You're going to confess it. You ever wondered why? In churches, when they do the altar calls, they usually ask people to come up to the front. And uh, especially when you're going through it, you're like, man, this is embarrassing. What if somebody sees me? And... And uh, some people are like, you know, why are, we, why are we putting them through that? Why are we try, trying to embarrass them? But we're not trying to embarrass anybody. It's their opportunity to confess with their mouth. That's why we say the sinners pray out loud. Because they, they believe with their heart, but they confess with their mouth. And the Bible says that once you confess with your mouth, that results in salvation. Amen.